Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for this morning, our opportunity to gather to praise your name, to praise your Son, to know you more. And Lord, we ask that you would be glorified in this time, that you would be honored in our in our thoughts and in our words, and that your Spirit would work mightily in the hearts of each one of us. We do love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. I had to miss a little bit of the announcements this morning, so if I'm repeating, Jim, just forgive me. Uh, you'll notice, typically in your bulletin, there is a space for sermon notes, which there is again today, but we've started to run into an issue. We were asked to provide some of the passages that we use in the morning, and so we started to and then realized that there were almost no more space to write anything down. So you'll notice in the chairs in front of you, there is now every other chair connect cards and every other chair blank sermon note pieces of paper, cards, slot, I, whatever they are. There are things about this size that you could take notes on. So that is just for, for you to know. So the number is 2,740. The number of days my dad's friend Jerry Singleton spent as a prisoner of war in the Hanoi Hilton. 2,747 and a half years in prison. He was a believer. Can you imagine? I can't. But can you imagine what goes through your mind come four weeks in? Four months in? Fifteen? Twenty-five? Seven years? What goes through your mind? God, where are you? Why are you allowing this to happen? Those are the, those are the troubles some people have. Other people... Most of us will never be prisoners of war. But I know people who have gone through medical issues that have changed the way their lives are lived, that never get resolved. They, they start and they, they hope to have it begin to get better, but it just never does. And then there's people like me. I don't get to eat donuts. Right? That's my trouble in life. It's not nearly the same, but there are moments where I go and buy donuts for my family and I smell the bakery and I'm just like, God, really donuts? This is what I can't have? But we all go through those different things. And if we haven't, we will. So what do we do in those moments where we feel totally forsaken by God? We're going to look at three different passages this morning, and you're going to find a, a common word theme through all of these, and it's going to be what is considered to be the two most important words together in Scripture other than names of God, right? Jesus Christ, more important than what we're going to look at. The Holy Spirit, more important than what we're going to look at. God the Father, all of those names of God, more important than this. But as far as not names of God go, we're going to spend the next four or three weeks, looking at different ways of this phrase. And you'll hear it, it's but God. 
And it's important to understand what's happening in conjunctions, right? But is a conjunction. You can use it to put two pieces of a sentence together that are both independent sentences, and it connects them. But it doesn't connect them in the sense that it's saying they're the same. It connects them in the sense that they're different things, right? So we're going to look at three of these passages this morning. The first one comes out of Acts chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. And the patriarchs, patriarchs being in the Jewish tradition, the fathers of the, of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then all of the twelve sons of Jacob. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all of his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. He was sold into slavery, but God rescued him. But God made him ruler, right? Second passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. But God who comforts the downcast. Now, typically, we wouldn't start with just stating that, so let's step back and say, okay, what is going on? Verse 5 says, For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. So here they show up to Macedonia. There's fighting around them. There's conflict within them. But God, who comforts the downcast. Who's the downcast in this case? Paul and the guys with him. That's who he's speaking about. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. He was discouraged. Life was hard. Things were going wrong, right? He was on a mission for God to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, and all of his plans were crumbling around him. That's frustrating, discouraging, annoying, angering. But God, who comforts the downcast. And then the third one. And once we read through these, we'll go back into them and start to discuss some more. And this was chosen, just so you know, before Pastor Bob told us last week to read Philippians every day, which he didn't ask me about that, and I counted 40 days from last Sunday. There's one week of overlap between when we end this, and you should be reading Ephesians again, and his request that you read Philippians every day. So there's just one week that you'll have to do both. We will survive. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 27. Indeed, he was ill, he being Epaphroditus, a messenger sent from the Philippians to Paul so that he could, he could have a, a gift from them and encouragement from them. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. 
So three different verses, three different passages dealing with three different circumstances. All of which show that in the midst of circumstances going wrong, God was with these people, for these people, not forsaking them. The first one, Joseph. He was sold into slavery from Israel, or what would become Israel, into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him. Do you know how long it took for Joseph to get rescued? Longer than Jerry was in prisoner of war camp. Joseph was sent from Israel or the promised land to Egypt. He worked for Potiphar for some unknown amount of time, but enough time that he rose in ranks and became the second most powerful person in Potiphar's house, only to be accused of doing something he didn't do and wind up in jail for it for a long time, long enough that he had multiple people come through jail with him who came in, were released, forgot about him, and only remembered some time later. But God rescued him. Right? You come to the passage out of 2 Corinthians. And what we see is that Paul was discouraged. The circumstances around him. Not that it was oppressing him or putting him in jail particularly, though he was in jail later. Paul went through all of this and needed something And God was with him. He comforted him. Now notice, that one says, God who comforts the downcast comforted him. Did that take Paul out of those circumstances? No. In the first one, Joseph was rescued out of those circumstances. In the second one, Paul was comforted in the midst of those circumstances. And then we come to the third one with Epaphroditus. And God, or God was with Paul and Epaphroditus. He had mercy on them, not giving them the result that they deserved, right? He was ill, but God had mercy. We all deserve death, physically, spiritually. We're all trending in that direction because of our sins. Epaphroditus is no different. He deserved the death that was coming his way. But God had mercy on him. God had mercy on Paul. Why? So that they would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul had reached the point to where his sorrow could take no more. And God had mercy on him. So that he didn't have to go through yet another awful circumstance. Now all of these sound great. Does it always turn out that way? No. So, what do we do when it doesn't all come up roses in the end? Right? That's, that's the question. Because if it all turns out great, then, then sure, this is easy. And actually, on a theological level, what I just said isn't true. Because in the end, it does all come out great. It does all come out perfect as we're with God for eternity, living a life without sin, sorrow, pain, or death. That is a perfect ending that actually doesn't end. But in, on earth, 
in our temporal experience, it will not all come out right or nice or fun or pleasant in the end. So what do we do? What do we do when it all comes out wrong? We know the end of a particular story that the character in the story did not know the end of. It's the story of Job. Now, the story of Job is often used to deal with trials and hardships in life, and sometimes wrongly, sometimes rightly. So here's the basic story of Job. Job was doing really well, very faithful, very righteous. God talks to Satan and says, hey, have you considered Job? You haven't been able to ruin him yet. And Satan says, that's because you're protecting him. So God says, okay, so I won't. So God removes his hand of protection from Job's family and stuff, and Satan goes and attacks, takes his possessions, his money, his children, his position in life away, to which Job says, God gives and God takes away. He knows what he's doing and he's in charge. So Satan comes back to God and God says, hey, you haven't been able to ruin Job yet. And he said, that's because you won't let me touch him. If you let me afflict him, he'll curse you. And God says, so go ahead. And he removes his hand of protection from Job. And Satan attacks Job, gives him boils and sores all over his body that I don't even want to imagine what is like. And that takes us through chapter 2 of Job. Chapter 38 is where God shows up. That is a long time coming. Job has three friends show up. These three friends do some great things for Job for the first days where they don't say anything. <laughs> then they open their mouth and they no longer are good friends. So, what happens at the end of this story? Chapter 38, God shows up in a whirlwind. God shows up and reveals himself to Job. You know what God says to answer Job's question? Because Job's been asking and telling God, hey, you des I deserve for you to give me an answer. Do you know what God's answer to Job is? If you were to read chapters 38, 39, 40, 41, God's answer is, hey, I'm God. I made the world. I rule the animals. I control things like snowstorms that you can't possibly imagine how to control. I know where they're coming from. I know where they're going. I know how to start them. I know how to stop them. Can you do that? I made the world. I'm sure glad this is where God got really sarcastic. So sarcasm is in the Bible. God effectively says to Job, I made the world and I'm so glad I got your insight on how to do it. Job's response to that is this. In chapter 42 of Job, verses 1 to 6. Then Job answered the Lord. He had already answered him once. And just so you understand that God did not appreciate the way Job was going about this, God talks to Job for two chapters. Job says, oh God, I questioned you once and I shouldn't have done that. I'll never do it again. So God launches into two more chapters of telling Job how he was wrong. And then we come to this. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. 
Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of my ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Did Job get an answer to the problems that he was facing? No, he got a God who was bigger than the problems he was facing. That was the comfort that Job got. Now, we know the end of the story. God ended up giving him back all that he had and more. But Job didn't know that at this moment. So Job's response of despising himself for having questioned God was before he knew how it ended. And he says, I questioned you and I was wrong. You have shown who you are to me and I misunderstood. I had, I had heard about you. But now I've experienced and understand you. So I despise myself and I repent for what I had done. That's a great answer. How in the world do we do that? I mean, honestly, seriously, how do we give that sort of response to a God we read about, know about, have experienced if we're believers? How do we give that response to him? In a way that's not just lip service and pretense, but is real. Paul answers it for us. Now, there is a difference in answers. The answer is very simple. And when we hear that there's a simple answer, we presume wrongly that it's easy. Some of the most simple things are the hardest to do. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. Okay. That means every ounce of you loves the Lord with everything you've got. Very, very simple answer. Very, very impossible to do. So we've got a simple answer that's nigh impossible. It's at least extremely difficult. And there's only one way to go about it. And we're back in Philippians chapter 4. Using a verse that just so you know is so often taken out of context that it makes me disappointed. Philippians chapter 4. And I, and I don't go too far with that because there are people who use this verse in the way that they use it. It's still true. It's just not really what the Scripture is talking about. Philippians 4.13 is the verse that we're speaking of. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Which is about what? Obviously winning games, right? It's obviously about doing well in your job. What is it about? Well, let's step back and take a look at the context and ask that question. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, knowing that at length you have received, you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Okay, that's the background. Remember we said Epaphroditus brought a gift to Paul from the Philippians. That's this. That's what's going on. So he's received a gift. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned 
the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's learned the secret of being content, whether he has much or little. Whether there's wars around him to destroy him and struggles within that want to break him. Whether he's being lowered from walls in Jerusalem or Damascus to get away from rulers. Whether as he's going to the Ephesians, he's getting stoned. And that is not a reference to pot use. Okay? New states, new perspectives. Okay? Paul was stoned being that they put him in a small hole and they threw rocks at him until he died. Except he didn't die and they all left. They thought he was dead, so they left. So he got up. This is nuts. I've been hit by a rock. I've been hit by a baseball. Neither, neither are fun. He got hit to the point they thought he was dead. They left. He got up, was like, oh man, that wasn't great. All right, next town, more gospel. That's what he did. So when he talks about being low, that's what he's meaning. This is not some, yeah, one day I didn't have enough coffee. And, you know, that was really rough. Or I don't get to eat donuts. Not the type of things Paul is speaking of, right? He's speaking of not having food for the day or the week. He's speaking of being persecuted and abused to the point of death. And he's learned the secret of being content, which is what? Jesus. He can only do it through and because of Jesus. He can only have that perspective because of the inheritance that's promised to us because of Jesus. So when we say the answer is simple, be content, it's content because that in having Jesus, you have everything you could possibly need, even if you die in need on earth. Unless we be confused, we ask God for healing all the time. Okay, not all the time, but very frequently, right? Oh God, give me healing. Do you know what healing really is? Death. You are not, a person is not fully healed until they've died. So recognize, just on a fundamental level, when we ask God to heal somebody and he allows that person to die, that is their healing if they're believers. Because they no longer have the mar of sin that brought whatever illness, hardship, whatever it is upon them. Their real healing comes when they die and they go to heaven. That's why we can be content. Because that's what we're longing for. That's what we're waiting for. But Paul goes even further than that. In chapter 4, if you go back to verse 4 in Philippians, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again in case you missed it. Rejoice. Rejoice when? Always. Rejoice when things don't go well. I'm a Minnesota Vikings fan. We are disappointed at the end of every year, right? Rejoice always. Doesn't matter when it is. Paul's going to go further in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. He writes this, which is even more crazy. Verse 16, rejoice always, right? Similar things. 
pray without ceasing, which is its own idea altogether. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Ephesians 5.20, don't give thanks in all circumstances, but in everything or for all things, give thanks. What? How? Because God is working even if we don't feel it. We are low, despised, hurt. Our circumstances are bad. They've gone awry. Things aren't happening the way we want. But God is with you and with me now. How do we know? Go back to Ephesians chapter 1. We have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit if we're believers in Jesus, which means he's in us and he's the mark on us as a guarantee of our inheritance with Jesus. He can't not be with us. He's the mark on your life. I have a little burn right here. You know those propane torches that you start fires with? I was using one and I was... It was actually burning dandelions that were still growing in my yard because I was bored, so I just burned them. I was tired of them being there. I'm like, you know, if I burn you really good, you might stop growing. And then I bent down to do something, and I put the metal nozzle right on my arm. That was not really the smartest thing I've ever done. That was seven months ago. I still have the mark. When God says that he seals us, it's not a seven-month-long mark that it will eventually, probably, maybe, hopefully fade. I don't need to be reminded of every stupid thing I've done. I've already got some. Okay, that was not scripted. Anyway, we don't have to have a mark that fades. We have a mark that won't ever leave us, a seal that is with us forever. So God can't possibly not be with us. I don't know your circumstances. Some of you have told me some things, but I don't know them. I don't know what areas it feels like you're alone and battling on your own or failing on your own. But God is with you. God is near, he says, to the brokenhearted, Psalm 34. God comforts the downcast, Philippians 2. Sorry, 1 Corinthians 12. He comforts the downcast. Whatever we're going through, we know that He is with us. He sent His Son to die on this earth, right? He didn't send Him to live. He sent Him to die so that we would have the chance to be healed completely, so that we would have the opportunity to be forgiven and live for eternity with Him so that we wouldn't be alone, so that we know He is with us, regardless, irrespective of our circumstances. He is with us. Today, tomorrow, always. It doesn't matter how hard it is. I mean, it does matter, but it doesn't change the reality that God is with you whether you're stuck in a POW camp or whether you've got medical issues that won't go away 
or whether you've got a myriad of whatever other things are out there that cause that trouble, struggle, feeling of aloneness, God is with you. Even though you don't deserve it, He is still always with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being with us. Thank you for not forsaking us when we fail, for not giving up on us when we, when we disappoint. We pray, Father, that you would be honored in us today, that we would be men and women who bring you honor and glory. Show us, Lord, the depth of your love for us and the depth of your care for us. And work within our hearts anew this Christmas season. We do love you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.